Father, I pray, Lord, that in a few moments time, Lord, do something supernatural. Father, I pray that you sweep the house, find every lost coin. Father, I pray, Lord, that you would give us ears to hear. Lord, give us a heart to respond, a humility to respond to your word. Father, I pray for an anointing. Lord, my preaching is good for nothing. It's your anointing that matters. Father, there is time, but we don't know how much more time to do this right. And so, Father, I pray today, Lord, in your mercy, let this be a mercy moment. Lord, will you come down once again and do only what you can do and that you will get the glory. Father, take away every distraction. Take away everything that would try to take our mind away from what you want to say. And speak to us, God. Lord, speak to us in a way, Lord, I can give you the little bit I have and you can speak in many different directions and different ways. And so I pray that you speak now. Holy Spirit, I pray that you will cover my frailties and animate me. Lord, I ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning still. It's before noon. I'm going to ask if you have your Bible, if you have a hard copy of a Bible, you could turn to two parts of Scripture. One is Luke 15. The other is Luke chapter 7. If you have your device, we're going to start at Luke chapter 15. The title of the message is The Road to Revival. The Road to Revival. Now, if you've been following the news, you hear about the different revivals on different college campuses that are going on and different ways that God is moving um, I also want to encourage you that if you are alive in Christ, if you are alive in Christ, you have a, a walking, living, loving relationship with Jesus. You do not need to get in your car or travel across the country to find God. He lives inside of you. You can have a revival in your car. And remember, revival are for things that are dead. You need to revive them. So, But I want you to know that the Lord is on the move. We see that. We thank God for that. It's in the book of Acts where young people will speak the words of God. They'll have an encounter with the Holy Spirit, and we thank God for that. And we thank God for what he's doing in this house. And so, But I want to share a couple thoughts with you on the road to revival, starting at Luke 15, verse 11. A man had two sons, and the youngest son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. And a few days later, the younger son packed all his belongings, moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all his money in wild living. And about the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. And he persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. Now, the same world that promised him happiness, promised him romance, promised him love, promised him fulfillment, can't even meet his most basic need. Here's a young man and disrespected his father, asked for, pretty much said that dad was dead, I want everything that you have now, and he goes out, as scriptures say, and, and he's spending it on living that is sinful. I want to remind you, beloved, that the Bible says that sin leads to death. 
Satan comes for keeps. He comes to kill, steal, and destroy, but Jesus came to give life. And so somebody once said that sin makes promises it cannot keep. We sang about promises before, and once you know, I only asked Abby, our worship leader today, to, to one song that I asked her to sing. I didn't know the other song she was going to sing. She didn't know what I was preaching on. Pastor Edwin didn't know what I was sharing on. So I really do believe the Lord has given his church a word today. And for those that are not yet in the church, a word as well. Sin makes promises it cannot keep. It continues to take from us. It demands from us. But if you look at the parable, the Bible says that this young man went into a famine. And thank God for the famine. Thank God for God's mercy in the famine. Thank God there was nothing available to him. Thank God for the part of the scripture that says nobody gave him anything. Now, you, you just saw my family and I dedicate our children. We have little children, but we pray now, Lord, that they would never know a day of backsliding. They would never know a day where they walk away from the Lord, that God, you would keep them. You know, I'm, I'm going to tell you some of our prayers. We pray as a family, and some people may look at me and they say, that, that's, that's too much. But we're the ones investing in them, and we're the ones that believe in God for them. I, I pray that my children will never kiss anyone to the day they're married. I pray that God will keep their purity. I pray that they will surrender their lives to Jesus at a young age and be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And I pray that they will never know a day of backsliding. But I want you to know that if you're a parent in here, you're a grandparent in here, this is a, this is a hard verse because if the dad runs out and the dad goes and, and finds the boy and rescues him and probably goes back and rescues him and goes back, how many of you know that the boy needed to hear the father's voice? Thank God no one gave him anything. And some of you are, are sitting in this room and you're wondering, where, where's the break, God? Where, where's my situation going to change? When, when is it going to turn over? But at times we need to be grateful for the famine. We need to be grateful. We need to be grateful for the seasons that we go into where all we have left is turning to God. And when a person is drifting away from God or as I said, backslidden. I want to define backslidden, by the way, because a lot of us have a picture of someone when they backslide is, is somebody, they, they walk away from the Lord, they go really far, they go com maybe completely into their old life. Backslidden is actually a picture of an animal that puts their feet into the ground, and the, and the person's trying to pull the animal forward, and they're refusing to go forward. It's not just physically going backwards, it's also a refusal to move forward, and we could refuse to move forward in the Lord, and what's amazing is this young man, what looks good to you when we're drifting away is incredible. The food, you think he ever lived in his house and said, one day I can't wait to get out and eat what the pigs eat? The food that he was feeding pigs began to look good to him. You know, I, I think about my wife's testimony. I didn't, I didn't share this in the first service, and I had forgotten to, but I think about my wife's testimony, who uh, was not raised in a Christian home. Her sister, who's here, who actually introduced us, 16 years older than her, and she was born-again Christian, and, and, and she ha her and her family had a big impact and influence on my, my wife and her parents and family. And, and when I met my wife, uh, we obviously didn't meet and get married the next day, but when I met Alana, uh, she was not a believer, and shortly after, she gave her life to the Lord, and she was in a relationship, and it was a destructive relationship, and she tells me the story that after she gave her life to the Lord, she, she told that man, she said, I'm going to marry a Christian, and he said, I guess it's the beginning of the end, and it was, 
it was. Because when we drift, we begin to get involved in things that we shouldn't. We begin to settle. We begin to compromise. We begin to look at what the pigs get and we start to think maybe that's what we're worth or that's what's good enough for us. I want to share a verse with you from 1 Corinthians 16, 9 through 11. They're going to put it on the screen and I want us to take our time as we read through this verse because this is a very important Bible verse. Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God. That means that there is a list of people who have made the choice to live in certain lifestyles, to live by certain practices. They did never made the break to Jesus. And the Bible says that heaven is not their home. It says, don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge, now the NLT uses indulge. Most translations don't even have indulge. Sexual sin, that is sex outside of marriage, sexual activity outside of marriage, who worship idols, who commit adultery, or are male prostitutes, practice homosexuality, or are thieves, or greedy people, or drunkards, or are abusive, or cheat people. None of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Now let me hit the pause button for a second because many of us have a testimony in here and we know the other part of the verse which we're gonna share in a moment. There is a difference between a struggle and a choice. When I meet with people, whether they're younger or older, and, and they may be involved in a certain lifestyle, they may be living a certain way, and, and I ask them, is this a struggle? And then if it's a struggle, I do ask them the question, do you hate the sin? Do you actually hate it? It's not a struggle without a hatred. It should be, I, I, I hate this, God. I'm, you know, I'm sorry that I went back to it. I don't want to do this way. I don't want to live this way. I trust that you're finishing the work that you started in my life. It's not a choice. It's not something that you've come to the conclusion with. There was a, a young man that I remember we, meeting with and he fell into one of these categories and, and we were talking and, and, and I thought maybe it was a struggle and he said, no, no, no. Even though we read this scripture, even though we read um, through other scripture as well, he said, when I'm doing something wrong, God usually tells me. And I said, but we just read the scripture. It wasn't a struggle, it was a choice. And then if we keep going on in the verse here, it says some of you were once like that. I know I fell into some of those categories. But you were cleansed, you were made holy, you were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. If you've surrendered your life to Jesus, you were made right with him. The old life is gone. You have a new life. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus. But I bring this up because this is the pig pen. The young boy was in the pig pen. And we have to be careful we don't craft a Christianity that's convenient for us. We have to be careful that we don't create our own Christianity, our own Jesus. 
The Bible says that we have to love and accept the truth. We are to love the truth. We don't cherry pick. We don't go down the line and say, I like this one, I don't like this one. This one's antiquated. I could find a church that supports this one. You can find the church to support any lifestyle that you want today. But the word of God never changes. It doesn't change for me. It doesn't change for you. It doesn't change for our children. It doesn't change for our household. 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 12 says, Then they will be condemned for enjoying evil rather than believing in the truth. There are people that they enjoy doing the evil. They enjoy it. And the Bible says that even for a season it may feel good, but eventually sin leads to death. Going back to Luke 15 verse 17, When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I'll go home to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. He wanted to be something less than the calling of God on his life. And so many of us, when we don't have an understanding of who God is. We've, we've never crossed that bloodline. We've never surrendered our life to Jesus. We, we begin to pick up lies about the nature of God. We begin to say, well, if I give my life to Jesus, I surrender to him. Or if I come back home, then, then maybe God will take me on as something less than I am called to be. He's, he's called you to be his child. He wants a relationship with you. He wants to forgive you for your sin. He wants to wipe the record clean. He wants you to have assurance that you will die and go to heaven after. He wants you to know him personally and intimately. Verses 20 and 21, so he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. A long way off, which tells us what he was looking. The Bible says that the son was a long way off. The father, I could imagine, working outside, working with his hands. But I, I, again, I, I've never been in that situation, and some of you have uh, more experience than I do in that, and, and you may be going to work, and you're waiting for that call, not the bad call. You're waiting for the good call when, when son or daughter comes home, and you get the call that they've surrendered their life back to Jesus. You get that call, and some of you are working with your hands, and you're waiting for that call, and the father's out there, and he's probably working, and he looks in the distance, and a long way off, he sees the son coming. And what does the Bible say? The Bible says he did something that men didn't do at that time. They did not do it in public. He ran. And so he runs to the sun. And it's been said before, and I believe it, that he ran to the sun so no other voice can get to him. The sun becomes to come home. And I could imagine on his way home if, if the wrong neighbor gets to him. And the neighbor comes to him and maybe says, well, are, what, what are you doing here? You think your father really wants you home? You think you're welcome back into the house? Why don't you just turn back around? No, the father ran. And God, when he begins to see our heart, even right now for some of us that are in this room, that your heart begins to turn and the father begins to run to you. And when he returned, he found love and compassion. Luke 15, 22, his father said, 
to the servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. The finest robe in the house. What is the finest robe we could wear? It's the robe of righteousness. See, when you give your life to Jesus, you are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. He said, listen, put, put this on him. The shame we take off. The sin, no more. The past, I'm going to help him move past and through it. But I'm going to put a new robe on him. And he said, put a ring on his finger. A ring on his finger that tells us that we are the bride of Christ. And so Satan and everyone in this world will know who we belong to. And then put some sandals on his feet so he could walk in a new direction. My son's got a new direction now. He's no longer living in a pig pen. He's no longer out there disrespecting his father and, and destroying the, the, the plan that I have for him. Now he says, no, give him some new shoes and put it on him so he could walk in the direction that I have for him. And in Luke 15, 23 to 24, kill the fattened calf. We must celebrate with a feast for this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he's found. So the party began. I believe with all of my heart that we're going to see in the next 20 minutes some miracles take place. I believe it. I believe some of you came in today and you've been praying to get your child back. And some of you have been praying to get your parents back. Some of you have been praying for your grandchildren. And we've been praying. See, when he was starving, the world didn't have anything to offer him. Let me ask you a question, those of you that are out there living contrary to Scripture. What is the world offering you? What is it giving you? What is it offering you? Really, what, what, what is it? You feel good for 10 minutes? And then only you and God know that you put your head on your pillow at night and cry yourself to sleep? because you're searching for peace and you know that the world can't give it to you. We're searching for joy and the world can't give it to us. We're searching for a love that goes beyond human understanding and the world can't give it to us. There's no husband, there's no wife, there's no boyfriend, there's no girlfriend, there's no job, there's no home, there's no car, there's no salary. There's not enough social media followers that can give it to you. The father did more than feed him, he embraced him. Folks, do you hear that? He embraced him. He touched what everybody else would say is dirty. And that's what Jesus does. He loved him. He kissed him. Life is found only when you come home. I want to share a story with you. A five-year-old little girl reaches for her father's hand. And as they hold hands and walk to the store, her father picks her up, embraces her, kisses her, and tells her she's beautiful. That evening, her father tucks her into bed, reads the Bible to her, prays with her, and gives her a big hug and kiss goodnight. And the little girl is now eight, and the walks with her dad become less frequent. She's starting to hear things in school that she never heard before. There are less bedtime prayers, but so many more questions in her mind, and she tries to talk with her dad, but he just gives her a quick answer. Her 12th birthday comes around, and now it seems like the only time her family slows down is one week a year during the summer. School is approaching soon, and she asks her dad to take her clothing shopping. He says he's busy and drops her off at the mall with friends 
who he doesn't really know and gives her money for clothes. As she walks into stores, she tries to play it off like everything is okay, but in her heart she longs for her dad to be there, to hold hands with, to teach her how to look beautiful and modest. As the school year begins, she notices that the boys in her class show her attention by the way she dresses. She begins to like this attention. Without a relationship with God and as conversations with her dad are almost never, she thinks she finds what she's looking for. High school now begins and she realizes that there are many girls who now dress like her and act like her. Her false security is threatened. She thinks about going to speak with her father, but she feels it's useless. She says to herself, he doesn't even know me. Three years go by and she finds herself coming home to an argument between her mother and father, ending with her dad walking out. Senior year, so many choices, college and work. The pain inside of not knowing God's love has now ended up on the outside with cutting herself. Walking home from school one day, her friend tells her about a party going on that evening. She lets her know about the guys who will be there, including one guy who's been flirting with her in school. She asks herself the question, could it finally be what I'm looking for? Love, acceptance, attention, someone to tell me that I'm beautiful, someone to spend time with me. She goes home in a hurry and gets ready for the party. She tells herself, this is the night. I'll do whatever it takes. Dad failed me, and so I guess God is like that too. I'll find love, and I'll find joy. And a thought comes into her mind that it's wrong. She thinks back to the prayers and walks she had with her dad as a little girl. A tear falls down her cheek, but then she believes the lie that it's too late. It's hopeless now. Evening comes, and she decides to lie down in a dark room and give herself away, believing the lie that this is the answer. That night, what she thought she would find has led to only further hurt and pain and depression. High school ends and off to college. She enters college numb to life. Partying and sex outside of marriage become the norm. Believing the lies that it's too late, it's over, and she can never be clean. The little girl's now 22, finishing up school and getting ready to look for a job. And as she's cleaning her room, she finds a picture that was taken of her and her father. She looks at the date on the back and figures out that she was five years old when the picture was taken. They were at the park, and he was holding her in his arms. And one tear falls, and then another before she realizes that she's on her knees asking God if he is real, asking can she be loved, asking is there an end to the pain, and is there a way out. And she's asking if she can be held again. I want you to know that you can be held again. I want you to know that God is merciful. I want you to know that you can come home. Now, I don't know what side of the story you may find yourself in. You may be the dad. Or that story may have continued for you. Or you may be the girl. You may be the guy in that story. But I want you to know that there's mercy available to you. That there's grace available to you. That you can still come home. See, in Luke chapter 7, if you want to turn there, it's starting at verse 11 through 15. The Bible tells us that Jesus is on his way to a village called Nain. And he's with his disciples, and a crowd follows him, and, and they're going towards a, a village gate. They're going towards the gate, and at the same time that they meet up at the gate, a funeral procession is coming out of the gate. And so if you see the picture, folks, it, it's not hard to see. You see the picture of life and death, and they're about to meet. And the Bible tells us that this was a widow, so her future is gone, her strength is gone, her protection's gone, her financial stability, as someone once said, and it's true, is gone. And then her only son is gone, because he's in the coffin. 
And now what she thinks could be left behind is gone. And the Bible tells us that Jesus had compassion on her, just like he has compassion on you right now. And he had compassion on her, and he walks over to the coffin, and he says something. He says, don't cry. Now, I could imagine the group that's with her. This lady is crying. This lady, everything is gone. All hope is gone. And I could imagine a voice that just says, who are you to say that? What audacity Jesus has to say that. Don't cry. Everything's gone. Jesus doesn't respond. And he walks over to the coffin and he puts his hand on it. And the people that are carrying death have to stop. You hear that, folks? It may be in your own life. And you may be in a procession of death, but when Jesus touches your situation, it has to stop. And death stops in its tracks. And he tells the boy to get up. And he gets out of the coffin. And the Bible says he sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. Psalm 68, 5 to 6. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back. The Bible says that God is father to the fatherless. Defender of widows. This is God. Whose dwelling is holy. God places the lonely in families. He sets the prisoners free. And he gives them joy. In a little while, we're going to have an altar call, but before we get there, I want to ask you the most important question of your life. I want you to know that the Bible says that there's no one good. Not me, not you. No matter how young or how old you are in this building, there's no one good. Good people don't lie can probably say that we've all done that. Good people don't hate. We've all done that. Most likely. But the Bible also says that we could be forgiven for every sin we've ever committed. All of it gone. Wiped away. No record. No remembering it anymore. The Bible says that God chooses to forget. You and I would have to get to heaven and try to convince him of our sins. But the Bible also says that there's only one way to heaven. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody comes to the Father except through me. Nobody. There's no back door, there's no side door, there's no bargain, there's nothing. Matter of fact, when you and I die and we stand before the Lord, at that time there's no argument we can give. There's no way we can try to convince God to give us a second chance at that time. There's no way at that time our eternity has already been written. And folks, I want to hear welcome home. Because the Bible says that there's also another thing that the Lord will say to people. He will say, depart from me. I've never 
knew you. And that person will try their argument. They'll say, but I, but I did things in your name. I even served in church, if I could put it in today's language. And he said, I never knew you. Depart from me. And that person will spend eternity in hell. Hell is something we can't even wrap our minds around. But you're breathing, you have a choice. You have a father whose arms are open wide. You have a savior that went to a cross. You have a Jesus who was nailed, thorns beat into his head, back ripped apart, hung there, suffocating, still willing to save somebody next to him even though it was excruciating pain anytime he wanted to open up his mouth. You could be forgiven. Your whole past could be gone. You could have a new heart, a new mind, a new spirit. You could be given a new life. The Bible calls it being born again. You could be given assurance of heaven. You could be given strength to face your days and nights. You can come into the family of God. You can have a father to the fatherless. He could be your defender if you're a widow. He can be all yours, and you could belong to him. And so before we close the message and get to an altar call, I want to ask you a very simple question. If you have never surrendered your life to Jesus, and you would like to, you want to be forgiven, you want to be born again, Right where you are, I'm not going to ask you to come forward. I just want you to raise your hand. No eyes closed and no heads bowed. If you're in this place, I see your hand. No, no shame. Anybody else, you would say, I want to give my life to Jesus. I see your hand. I see your hand. You, you, let me tell you, there's, there's nothing to be ashamed of. This is eternity, folks. This is heaven or hell forever. His life goes like this. Anybody else? You say, Pastor, I want to give my life to Jesus. Just raise your hand if you didn't already. Those of you that raised your hand, I want you to pray with me. I want you to pray with me, but I want you to mean it from your heart. Yeah, we do this to help you articulate what you're feeling, to help walk you into Really what we're doing is we're taking your hand and we're placing it in the hand of Jesus. We, I can't do anything. You, you can't go to a priest, a pastor. We, we don't forgive sin. We could forgive one another, but I can't make you saved or a Christian. And so the Holy Spirit's been working in your heart. And those that raise their hand, pray this prayer with me. Say, Lord Jesus, I'm giving you my life. I turn from sin and I surrender to you. Please forgive me for sinning against you. Thank you for dying for me. I believe you rose from the dead so I wouldn't have to face death. And God, I ask you to be my Lord and Savior. I open my heart to you now wide and I ask you to come in. Fill me with the Holy Spirit that I may have different desires, that I may hate what's evil and cling to what is good, that I would love you with all my heart, 
mind, soul, and strength. And I would become everything you want me to be. Jesus, I'm yours and you're mine. I renounce the devil and all his ways. And I'm giving you my life in Jesus' name. The rest of you, would you stand? I want to give an altar call. Psalm chapter 3 says that he lifts up our head, talking about God. You know why he lifts up our head? I believe he lifts up our head that we could remember the cross. We could remember what Jesus did for us. And when that boy was in the pig pen, he lifted up his head. He's there in the pig pen, life falling apart, drifted away from the things that God has for his life. But God lifted up his head. And I believe with all my heart that God has lifted some of your heads today. I don't say that arrogantly. And I'm not saying that with a finger pointed at anybody. I just believe this is a mercy moment. And you need to take full advantage of that mercy moment. Husbands, take advantage of the mercy moment. If you've drifted away from your leadership, you've drifted away from the call that God has on your life to shepherd and care for your family, this is your moment. Wives, if you've drifted away, this is your moment. Young people, if you've drifted away, this is your moment to come home. This is your moment to completely surrender it all, to completely surrender everything to Jesus, to, to allow him to write your story, to allow him to direct your life and guide you. See, you need to remember this. If you've already surrendered your life to Jesus and you've drifted into the mud, there's still blood under the mud. I don't know if you know what I'm saying. But when you begin to wipe that mud off, the blood of Jesus is still there. He's still in the Father's hand. But it's time to come home. It's time to surrender. It's time to give him everything. Every relationship you have. Every plan you have your career, your job, your family, everything. If you're drifting, come home. Pride will keep you in your seat this morning. But you can come home. And then to the church, I want to tell you that there was another person in the story. There was a, an older brother And sometimes we can be the older brother. He was angry when he found out the party happened for his brother. He was angry. He was out in the fields working, and he, he told his dad, I slave for you. Listen, folks, we can be in the house of God and far from the heart of God. I want to give an altar call as a church that God would prepare us. See, there's a road to revival. It's the person coming home, but it's the person running towards the person coming home. And when the young lady walks into this building in the future, and she doesn't know how to dress, 
Can we extend love and mercy? When a young person comes into this place and doesn't know left from right, up or down, they don't know anything about the Bible, can we be an uncompromised church that shares the truth in love and with mercy? Because I believe God looks down on Rockland County and he says, where can I send these people? And he's wondering, can I send them to Grace Point? Can I send them? Will they be safe there? Will they be welcome there? And will they be taught the truth there? And so there's two altar calls. If you've drifted away and you need to come home, come out of your seat as the worship team begins to lead us in worship and you make your way at this altar and you don't care about, I know how it is, who's going to look at me, who's watching, what will they think of me, who cares? You go home and your kids can have a new dad. Your mind can be healed. You can be made right again. And for the church that needs mercy, if you need the heart of mercy, you need the heart of mercy. It's a supernatural heart. Then you come and you come out of your seat. How many of you need a heart of mercy? Go ahead, raise it. Don't be shy. How many of you need to come home? How many of you, it's time. It's time to come home. Full surrender. Full surrender. Don't play. Don't play. You're playing with eternity. You're playing with your family. Sir, I plead with you. Please, don't play. Your wife, your kids are on the line if you play right now. And you're focused about getting in the car and, and going home to watch something and, and you miss the moment. Don't play. Ma'am, don't play. Maybe your husband wasn't so nice, but the guy that's flirting with you at work, don't play. Don't play those games. Young person, don't play. Don't play. Don't come to church and, and know how to behave for an hour and a half. Go home and, and when your parents ask you how the service was, you give them two or three right answers. Don't play. Come home. Come home today. Don't play. Don't leave this place with eternity in the balance. Don't do that. Come home. There's nobody who can take care of your heart like God. There's nobody who can love you like God. There's no one who can heal you like God. There's, there's absolutely nobody in this whole world that can touch you. He can touch what's dead and he can give it life just like that young boy in the coffin. Moms, you can get your sons back. There's some moms that have been praying in this room and, and you're sitting next to people you've been praying for. You can pray right now that God does a miracle. Father, I pray. God, I pray. Only pride. You said you oppose the proud, but you give grace to the humble. 
Pride will keep us in our seat. Pride will keep us our heart closed right now. Your word is a hammer that breaks a rock into pieces. Father, I've delivered your word. There's nothing else I can do. I'm asking you, please, for everyone who's away from the house, that you would reveal it to them right now. And during the altar call, they will come home. They will come home. Father, I pray that God, in your mercy, in your mercy, bring them here. In your mercy, God, let them know they're playing with fire. They may have found the preacher to tickle their ears. They may have found some church to validate their lifestyle, but your word says something totally different. And God, I pray for us as a church. Lord, we know if we have a heart of mercy or not. We know if we want those people that nobody wants to talk to, touch, or listen to. People on the different political line. People of a different race to walk into these doors and find Jesus. We don't want to be the older brother that's mad when we hear the music playing and hear the dancing. We want to celebrate with what you're doing, God. So, Father, I pray, Lord, as Abby and the worship team lead us in worship, move people out of their seat. Why out of their seat? I don't know. That boy had to walk home, and he had to walk past the neighbors. But I know, God, the Father will run. The Father will run, and he will get to you before everybody else can. So, God, I pray that you now will do a miracle. And I ask it in Jesus' name.